0: so good uh, to be together and excited to be in week two of our sermon series all about young people, all about kids and youth and young adults. And hasn't it been good to see some of our young people involved in the service today? Give them a hand, those who read scripture and sang and did so many parts of this. And I'm so excited. So grab the notes. And if you didn't get one of these coveted new, pretty cool looking Crossroads pens, there might be a A whole crowd of people rushing after them, so you might want to grab them uh, today while you can. But I want us to, as we start and open today, I want us to think about how God has always used young people as a central part of his mission. Luke chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that when Jesus began his ministry, he was around 30 years old. And he began this ministry certainly as more than a rabbi, but he was, at least in part of his role, a traveling rabbi with followers of disciples. And it would be typical that these disciples would be even younger than the rabbi they followed. So think about this. This means the earliest disciples of Jesus would have been often well under 30 years old and recall culturally at that time most of the men would have went off got married and had full-time jobs around the age of 13 so let that sink in a little bit right and, we, and so when we see the first disciples, we see them as fishermen, so they had full-time jobs, and it's possible that they were likely teenagers at the time. Recall they were working with their father. They weren't simply off doing a full-time business by themselves. The text tells us that when they left their boats, they also left their father, who they were working for and working with. We also read that after they followed Jesus, we read that Peter once had a mother-in-law who was sick, which tells us that Peter, again, somewhere in his late teens, maybe early 20s, was married, and that these men had had carried these responsibilities and would be called to be Jesus's disciples at a very young age. Let's even consider one other sort of line of evidence. Think about this. John, the apostle, died around the the age of 100 in 93 to 94 AD, and if you go back and do the math, This can tell us that John could have even been in his teens to 20s around the time that Jesus called him. So all that to tell us, there's articles I read this week, and though we can't be 100% sure, it is possible that the disciples were as young as the age of 13 when Jesus called them to follow after them. That'll have us give a little grace to Peter, who we often give a very hard time to, doesn't it? the first disciples were the age of students and young adults in this church. Jesus ran a young adult ministry. (laughs) Jesus was a student minister, right? And we see within all of this that students matter to God. And so as we come to week two of a sermon series, again, all about kids, last week we talked a lot about young kids, and particularly young children in the world, like those you can sponsor through Compassion International, but today I want us to consider children and think under that students in this church, and I want us to ask this particular question. How does the church serve the youth within our walls? How does the church, the local body of believers, serve train, disciple, teach, grow the young people, the infants, all the way up to students and young adults in our church. And so here's what the Lord, as I prayed and sought the scriptures this week, here's where we begin. We need four principles as we begin to think about how the church should serve the young people in our body. And the first principle is an essential one. It's the principle of stewardship, Your kids belong to God. Stewardship. Your kids belong to God. We touched on this a little last week, but until we see the role of parenthood as one of stewardship, we'll never have the foundation we need for the local church to be all that it Can be the parents are responsible for the spiritual life and training of their children. Let me show you this in two places. First, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice here that the parents had a responsibility to teach both formally And informally, to instruct their children, notice the the sort of formal, intentional nature of binding the commandments of God on their house so it can be seen and memorized. That takes work, that takes effort, but it also happens informally. Just as you go about your day and sit in your house, the emphasis is on modeling how we are to live. We teach our children how to love God by how we love God. But this isn't simply in the Old Testament. This is also in the New Testament. Look over at Ephesians chapter 6. It's easy to remember. Deuteronomy 6, then Ephesians 6. And Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So notice the emphasis here is put on fathers, but I think the scope is even wider than that. I don't think he's simply saying, hey... Dad, do this, but that mom doesn't have any role in the process at all. Let me tell you something. Moms have an essential role in any good functioning household. Can I get an amen from the guys here? Yes, right? And so we parents play a fundamental role in the spiritual life and instruction of their children. And and sadly, there's many churches that minimize this and sometimes can even erase this responsibility by creating programs and ministries that allow parents to kind of just coast through it. But youth groups and kids' ministries are not meant to be excuses for parents to abdicate their role the church is not meant to parent people's kids, but that doesn't mean that the local church doesn't have a very central and important role to play in the spiritual life of your child. Consider this, that the role of pastors, teachers, and the church as, the, as a whole is to equip parents in their calling. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we see this. And he, being Jesus, Gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in, in deceitful schemes. God gave leaders, some past like apostles, and some in the present like pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For every member to serve in God's church, to grow in their faith, and to build a faithful family. And the goal of this, he says, is unity, but also maturity. But the ministry of the church isn't simply meant to trickle down. Like, we equip the parents, and therefore the parents are going to have everything they need to do to grow and train their kids. No, 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 no. I believe the local church actually has a more direct role to play. We start with the first principle of stewardship. This is important. If it's not happening in the home, there's nothing the church will be able to do beyond that. But the church does have a role in this. This is the second principle, the principle of discipleship. The principle of discipleship, and we'll look more at this in a second, but we need to be reminded that the mission of the church is to make disciples. And it comes right out of Matthew chapter 28. Look at these familiar words with me, but I hope that they don't just read to us and that we just gloss them over simply because they're familiar. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The central command is to make disciples. And there's three verbs that modify it or tell us. How do we do it? We go, we baptize, and we teach. This is the mission of the church. We go with the gospel. We baptize those who profess faith in the gospel, and then we teach everything Jesus commanded. And the bookends of this mission is the promise that Jesus is the one with all authority, so we're on the side of the winning team, and that he'll be with us in a unique way as we go. The church is given the great commission and the call to make disciples. And so the principle of discipleship means this that making disciples of all nations includes making disciples of children and students. It includes making disciples of children and students. In fact, even the apostles, when they wrote their letters to these various churches, they actually address children and students directly. They give direct instruction to them. The apostle Paul, though not any of their parents... Sees it as a part of the church's job to teach the youth in their church as well. There are some people who will say things, and I think they mean well when they say this, like, it is solely the parents' job to teach their kids. And I think the problem with that phrase is the word solely. Because if it were solely the parents' job to teach their kids, why would they be bringing them to church to hear from me? I'm not their dad. Right? And so look back with me. Look back at Ephesians 6. Right before the command to fathers to teach their children. Here's what, here's what we see. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Parents, amen. Right? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land. He says, kids, if you obey this, your parents won't kill you, <laughs> and you will live a long time in the land, right? And if you look at what's going on here at the end of the book of Ephesians, there's something really interesting. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 5, we see Paul is teaching all about the Christian's relationship to authority. In verse 21, he writes about how they're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Then he gets into specific application with various groups. You can look, kind of scan over the page with me. We see instructions to wives in verses 22 to 24. We see instructions to husbands in verse 22 to 33, or 25 to 33. We see him address children in chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Fathers, chapter 6, verse 4, and then to bondservants and masters in chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. In other words, he tells us the parents don't get to be the sole teachers and instructors. The church has a role to play. And recall that Paul wrote these letters, but they would have been sent, and the pastor in those early churches would have sat and read from these letters and addressed the children in particular as he was reading this. as he got to chapter 6 and read from this. So this tells us this, the gathering of the church isn't an adult-only time. It's not just sort of, well, let's let's put the kids away so the real adults and the real Christians can get to work. No, 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 no. This is a time when we should expect all of God's people to be together. In fact, it seems the Apostle Paul not only encourages the role of parents, he does do that, right, in verse 4. But he also believes that the church should have specific and particular teaching given to children and youth. So this brings us to the third principle. We've seen stewardship, discipleship. The third principle is partnership. Partnership. The church and the family share the same goal. We are on the same team. There are typically two perspectives. When you begin to talk about youth ministry in a church, there's two things that you'll often hear. One, you'll hear folks who will say things like, Well, it we don't you don't really need a youth ministry. There's not a youth ministry in the Bible. I can't find a verse there. And of course, I, I don't think that's necessarily true, but I have heard that. Because Jesus, again, Jesus had a youth ministry, obviously, but they said, Well, we don't we we don't need a youth ministry. We should have it all focused in on, on fathers and families discipling their kids. So that's one end. Then you often have the other extreme of churches that go, well, we have a youth group, and we've hired a guy to disciple our kids, so I don't really need to do anything at home, right? And here's the thing, I don't think we need to be an either-or church. Why not be a both-and church, Why not be a church that sees Ephesians 6 as a model for ministry? One that doesn't allow parents to abdicate their role, but that also doesn't allow the church to abdicate its role. Consider this. If we believe in ministry that strengthens husbands and wives and marriages, as Ephesians 5 talks about, why not ministry to students? To produce faithful families and faithful disciples requires both faithful parents and faithful churches working together. They build each other up and feed each other. And yet so often churches and Christians want to pit them against each other. Like we're not on the same team. (laughs) Notice Ephesians 6 again. I really think it hits the right balance of family and church. Family providing particular instruction in the home, family worship, prayer, time of instruction, but also for the church to address children and families and students specifically and intentionally. And meshing this together, it isn't always easy, but I do believe it is necessary for our faithfulness to the Great Commission. And this brings us to the fourth and final principle. The final principle is the principle of mentorship. We've seen stewardship. Your kids belong to God. Parenthood is a particular calling that God has given. And the church shouldn't seek to move in and become the parents. The pastor, I am not your kid's parents. (laughs) You also think about the principle of discipleship. The church does have a role in making disciples and teaching and growing disciples. The students that are here, the principle of partnership, we're on the same team and we work together. And finally, this looks like the principle of mentorship. Titus chapter 2 is so important and really gets at this. Look what Paul does. Titus chapter 2. He says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Look at this. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be models of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Notice what he does. He gives instructions to the older women to mentor and thus disciple the younger women. And he says, Hey, older men, be self controlled and be an example for the younger men to follow. There's this idea of mentorship here. Here we see that ministry to kids and students requires a ministry of mentorship, that student ministry includes teaching and life investment. That student ministry includes teaching and life investment. We need both. We need people to come alongside and to teach and prepare and to, and to help in that area. But we also just need godly men and women around our students who are other than their parents. Because every parent here knows this. Sometimes you can give the advice. And then there's another adult that will say the exact same thing and you would have thought they'd never heard it before. Friends, that's, that's part of what, what the church is here for, to have other godly adults to speak in and to connect and to have a relationship and to have influence and, and to help disciple and grow faithful students who go out into the world to serve their Savior and to build helpful families. To have more than simply parents to see as models and teachers, but also to obey the invitation of 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Look what Paul says here. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Notice he says, hey, children in the Corinthian church, yes, be imitators of your parents. But he also says, hey, look at me in my example. Look at others who are seeking to faithfully follow Jesus. That biblical student ministry must be mentor-driven. And that's part of the reason that I think it's so important that we, that we start and, and, and really ignite our student ministry by having Sean here next week to, to meet you and why we think hiring a role like this is so important because we need that, but we also need others to give of their time and to volunteer and to invest in the next generation. So you might ask, what, what do we do with this? This is a lot of theory you've given me here. How does this apply to our church. Let me close with four applications for us as a local church. What do we do with this? First, it begins with a change in how we view youth in our church. It begins with a change in how we view youth in our church because what we believe drives what we do. How we conceive of students and children will determine what we do in way of ministry to them. And as we've seen last week, children matter. As we're seeing this week, students and youth matter. And thus, they must matter to us. But if we don't give of our time and talents and treasures on their behalf, it doesn't really look like we value them very much, does it? And not simply that they matter to their parents, because certainly they matter to their parents. You're feeding them and taking care of them, right? But that they matter to all of us. If they come up and try to talk to you and you just kind of push them aside, that doesn't say that they matter to you. That they matter to the whole community of faith. And here's one thing we need to realize. We need to view every student That every student is a potential or current disciple of Jesus. Every student is a potential or current disciple of Jesus. They aren't simply a young person. They are an eternal soul that must face their maker and do business with their Savior. They must follow Jesus, and we have all of this urgency to reach the lost adults in our community, but friends, we must have the same urgency to reach the lost students, many of which sit right in our pews every Sunday. Because let me tell you something, church kids need Jesus too. And it's part of our mission as the church to go with the gospel to help confirm them in their faith, to baptize them when they make a profession of faith, and then to teach them everything Jesus commanded. And to do that well, we've got to start by seeing that every student here is either a potential or a current disciple of Jesus. Second, this means we must train parents to be faithful stewards. And friends, this is something I'll confess. I don't think we've, I, we've always done well As a church, this is something I'm hoping to look forward in the future to leading with better and to doing better. We must, particularly in partnership with parents and fathers and mothers, help to fulfill the role of training up children in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And our youth group simply isn't going to cut it. Friends, they have Instagram and TikTok and, and all sorts of influences far more than an hour a week. And if we won't disciple them, if the kingdom of God won't disciple them, let me tell you, there's a kingdom of darkness that would be all the more excited to get to them and to disciple them instead of us. For us to model in our homes the father in Proverbs training and instructing his child. And it begins with maybe this isn't an area, fathers, that you've, that you've stepped into as much. It begins by simply recognizing your own shortcomings by confessing them to your family, and by making small, measurable changes in the right direction. Whether that starts with simply praying at dinner or reading a few verses or talking about the sermon on the way home, simple, measurable changes that can be made. And it also begins by getting in community with other men who are modeling this and to spend time there and to learn from them. It means thinking afresh about how the church and parents can partner together rather than battle against each other. And there's always ideas that are welcome. And I'll tell you, the leadership here is praying for how to best do all of this here at Crossroads. Third, it means creating a youth ministry with purpose and direction. If it doesn't have purpose and direction, if you don't give of time, talent, and treasure toward it, nothing's going to come of it. And this is why, again, I'm so excited about this student ministry director position this week because this ministry needs personal leadership and direction in a unique way. It's going to take time and effort and discipline, but I think it also means changing what we think about when we think about youth ministry. Because let me tell you something. So many people think about youth ministry as babysitting. <laughs> let me tell you something, youth ministry isn't babysitting. It's faith building. It isn't simply a hangout time. It's a deep dive. It isn't separate from the ministry of the church. It's rather central to our ministry in the church. And that's why it needs purpose and direction and to seek to build it, and to pursue it, and to maybe consider giving of your time to help making it a reality. And fourth, and finally, this means we must welcome students into every area of service. Welcome students into every area of service. This one's hard, because let me tell you something. Students are going to make mistakes. You know, I had the opportunity when I was a young 16-year-old to step up and teach the Bible for the first time, and let me tell you, It was not good at all. (laughs) But if someone hadn't let me fall on my face in front of a group of people, I might have never got back up and been here today. They might even make huge mistakes, but how are we going to learn unless we give them an opportunity? Whether that's in worship band, in tech team, in kids ministry, in missions and beyond. And I'll say our church has actually done a pretty good job at beginning to get Some students and young adults plugged in. And I want to say to you today, if you're a student and you're not plugged in, we want you involved. And we'll find a place where you can use your gifts to serve and beyond. And so it's something that we should continue to celebrate and continue to work at. First Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of the church as a body. Each of us with a part to play. It doesn't put a size or an age or even maturity on their role in the body. Sure, if if students begin to serve in various places, you might have to teach them and mentor them and, and help them grow a little bit, but doesn't every part of the body need to be used in order to grow? Doesn't every muscle need exercise, and so students simply need opportunity so often, we're tempted to believe that the most mature or present parts of the body are most important. But God would correct us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22. Look at this. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greatest honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with the greatest modesty, which our most presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there might be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. He says, hey, the least likely the most unqualified, the one with the most work to do, he said, that's the one that God wants to put on display. So let me close with this. There is only one requirement to be a part of the body of Christ. Jesus must be your Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells inside us, and within every member of Christ's body, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, reminds us of this, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And this isn't talking about I can't simply recite these words because you, you can recite words all day. But it means a true, seated conviction and hope in your heart and in your life. And I believe there are many youth and students in this room today who may, who may not have committed to Jesus as their Lord because they don't really believe this is a place where they will be welcomed to serve and belong. They think that, well, church and all of that, that's for adults. Let me live my life, and then I might do that later on. They don't think there's a place for them in this body or anybody, so why would they step forward in faith to join a body like this? Why not wait until they're real adults before doing real adult things like church, but... I want to say this, this church is open to any who profess Jesus as their Lord and who seek to walk imperfectly in that reality. And I want to give an open invitation to young children, to students, to young adults, maybe even to the old here today, who've given lip service to Jesus as Savior, but never really confessed Him as Lord. See, Jesus came as a perfect, sinless sacrifice to die in the place of sinners. You and I stand guilty before the holy and righteous judge and creator of the universe. None of us have lived perfectly in light of God's law, the law written in our hearts, on our conscience. You know what happens when you do something wrong. You feel that little tinge, right? Or the law written in God's word, and all of us must stand before our Master. One day, and friends, we will have no hope in and of ourselves. Jesus came and lived as as a baby in the womb, as a newborn, as a child, as a teenager, and as a young adult, and on into his adulthood without sin, so that he could die for us, yes, but also instead of you. So that he could die the death that you deserve and rise again on the third day to show that the debt of sin has been paid and that there's a new and glorious way open to God. And the way to God isn't by being a good church kid. That'll never get you there. But it's only by grace through faith. It's only by coming to the end of yourselves and realizing that your report card is not going to stand up on its own. The report card of your life, right? You need another Person to substitute themselves in your place. You need a perfect, sinless report card of Jesus. And He has that offered to you. But it must be received as a free gift. And God will receive you just as you are. He's not asking you to grow up first, to wash yourself. He's saying, come as you are, to step forward. To turn from your sin and to place your faith in Jesus as savior and boss of your life. And he will meet with you and you will begin the journey of discipleship that his early disciples began in their late teens and early 20s to follow after him. So there's going to be a time here in a moment of one reflection. Maybe what you need is to come forward with your family and to pray and to commit them to the Lord to confess that, hey, I've not been leading my family as I should, and I need the Lord to come and to do what only he can do in this family. There's a place open for you. Maybe we need to come forward. Maybe you're a young person or an old person who says, hey, I've been playing the church game, but it's time to get serious and to commit myself, as, and to, commit myself to him as Lord of my life. I'll be down here, and there'll be room for you to come pray as well. Maybe you realize you need to join a local body and be a part of a body of believers to grow and to flourish. There's room for you. Whatever you need to do, this is a time to come forward, to respond, and to do business with God. Let us stand and let us pray together. King of heaven, we are thankful that you love us, even the least among us the smallest the seemingly insignificant the seemingly least mature that there is it says those are the ones you bestow with the greatest honor and that might even be the ones that you're calling to yourself right now we're so thankful that you loved us god and that you sent your son to live a perfect life in our place to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again from the dead so that we could have everlasting life and communion with you. And I pray that we will be serious about spreading that message everywhere in Katie's, even among the children and the students and the young adults. Help us to do it in a way that's biblical and in a way that would glorify and honor you and and expand your kingdom. And I pray now in this time of response that you would draw Mm -hmm. people to yourself. That if they need to come pray, they won't be afraid about what others think of them, but that they would look to you in hope. Have your way among us, and we ask and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy right here Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus whoa, whoa, whoa. heart and every every mind. mind. Cause I know there is peace within his presence. I speak Jesus.
0: Friends, God's doing some incredible things today, isn't he? (laughs) And all through the power and the name of Jesus. And let me say, if you didn't come forward and you need to take a next step, we've got a table in the back with some cards that say get connected on them. <coughs> Fill those out, leave them in the basket, and one of us uh, will follow up with you uh, on any next steps you may feel you need to take for you or for your family. But it is so good to see the Lord at work on Mother's Day, setting folks free and bringing them into devotion and obedience to their Father. And we'll close today with a blessing from God's Word this From Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.